As you can tell, we are uh, in the midst of a, uh, a series on uh, the book of Nehemiah, and I hope that some of you have been reading through um, the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to really dissect this book. And as I was praying some three, four months ago about the series that we would do in this spring, this is something that I just believe that God birthed in my heart, that I believe all of us that when we begin to allow God to deal with the inner parts of our lives and begin to reconstruct our lives, not only does it change our lives, but it's reflective in our relationships, our marital relationships, and really the church as a whole. So every single one of these bricks, by the way, and I think we gave uh, Jim Bacardo carpal tunnel syndrome from stapling all these um, papers up on the thing. So Pray for Jim's health because he complains every time. He, no, I'm just teasing. He does. He's a good boy. He's, he's a good boy. We've got to keep him busy, keep him out of trouble. But um, every one of these cards, every one of these bricks symbolize a choice, a decision that you have made to allow God to do something uh, unique and intrinsic in your life. And, and I believe because of that, not only are you rebuilding the broken down walls in the areas of your life, but also we're rebuilding the church as a whole. And uh, that's reflected. We've almost filled up these walls and we'll keep going. We'll just keep going around the sides here and allowing God to challenge you. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to get a little invasive today. I'm going to get in your grill. I'm going to get in your, that's what the kids say, get in your grill. It's, that's cool talk for I'm going to get in your face. I'm going to get in your face today, okay? You talking to me? I'm talking to you today, okay? Um, it would, <laughs> I just got to share this story. This is funny. We were in Arizona, and we're walking down the streets. We're in Sedona, beautiful area. We're walking down the street. I had my, it was when Syracuse made the final four, so I had my Syracuse sweatshirt on. My dad had a Syracuse hat on, and there's a guy sitting on the park bench, and we just happened to walk by him, and he, he was talking to another guy, and I thought he was talking to me, and he said to this one guy, did Syracuse make the final four? So I, I thought he was talking to me. So I turned around and said, you talking to me? <laughs> the guy's like, he got all scared. He's like, uh, no. Just talking to him. I said, okay. By the way, they are in the final four. You got something to say about it? Anything more? I felt tough in Arizona. I felt really tough in Arizona. I felt tough there. So anyways, that was, my nephew that was with us is like, you crack me up, Uncle Bard. You just, you know, the New York in you. I go, I don't know. If he would have stood up, I would have just ran away. I would have just. Um, so every single one of these bricks represents a, a decision that you have made, and that's what we're looking at, is, is, is the life of Nehemiah. And, and, and what did Nehemiah do that transformed literally a city and the, and the people within that city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls that were destroyed for 141 years because of their own rebellion, because of their own waywardness from God? And if you read the uh, book of Nehemiah, it's in a very sad part of Israel's history where God allowed foreign nations to come and take Israel captive because of their waywardness and their backslide. And God warned them of it. He said, listen, if you, if you fall from under my covering and under my covenant relationship, I will allow judgment to come upon you. And the way God did that was through other nations that would come in and judge them. And they actually took them exile to other countries. And that's what countries would do at the time. They would come in, they would raid a country, they would, they would take that uh, country captive, and then they would take those people to their own lands and use whatever gifts and talents they were uh, to... to to try to enhance their own country. Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel is part of that. Daniel was 
taken captive and part of uh, Babylon and, and his gifts and talents were used to help accentuate that country. And God still, in the midst of that turmoil and trial of exile, God still uh, worked his will and way in those situations. And so here Nehemiah, he's exiled and he's eventually in the country of Persia, which eventually overtook Babylon. And he was a cupbearer to the king and he got word that the walls were still in destruction and the gates were burned and in destruction. And because of that, his heart was burdened to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls because symbolically Nehemiah understood that the walls symbolized the salvation of the Lord, the gates symbolized coming into the presence of the Lord, and that the temple was there where God's presence was. And Nehemiah knew it was so much more than just about rebuilding the walls, it was about rebuilding the spiritual lives of the people because eventually Jerusalem is very pivotal. Even in end-time prophecy, Christ will eventually come back. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where God's presence will dwell. What God desired to do was just not to rebuild the walls to make the Israelites look good. He wanted to rebuild the walls so that His glory could be shown, that His glory could be shown through His people. It wasn't for their glory. It was for God's glory. It was for God's reputation that his name and for his namesake alone would be glorified in the nations that people would turn to God and surrender their lives to him. So just remember that about your lives, that the things that God gifts you with and and the abilities and the spiritual gifts that God gives you, it's not a means to your own end to glorify yourself. Ultimately, God wants to work through you that his name would be glorified. Amen? It's... when that happens, it's such a greater purpose for your life, isn't it, than just ending with me. When I allow God's glory to be shown through uh, my life, it's so much uh, more, there's more depth to it. There's more meaning. There's more joy. There's more happiness that comes through it. Now, here's what we're going to look at today in chapter 2. We're going to look at Nehemiah. Here he spends three to four months praying and fasting in Persia. He goes to the king. We're going to read about this. And so he has this, uh, he, he has this desire to go and help rebuild the spiritual lives and the physical walls of Jerusalem. So he has to travel hundreds of miles to go back. So he prays and fasts for three months. God gives him the desires. He, he, hum, he humbles himself to go before the king to get the supplies and even ask for permission to go. And the king could have Artaxerxes could have easily killed Nehemiah for just suggesting that. But God's hand, God's favor was upon Nehemiah. And through prayer, he goes. But here's the thing. He goes with God's hand upon him. But how many of you know that just because God calls you to do something and that when he wants to do great things in your heart, that doesn't necessarily mean there's not going to be any resistance right? How, how many of you figured that out really quick in your Christian walk? You're like, well, wait a minute, I, I became a Christian and things seem a little worse now than they did before. That's good because that means God's doing something deep in your heart. Listen, it's through resistance that our faith grows, that allows us to be persistent. And, and perseverance is a thing that God desires to develop in all our hearts. If there is no resistance to your faith, you would never grow in your walk with the Lord. And so through this, we're going to see that Nehemiah had some uh, resistance to uh, this great plan that God has given him. And this is what I, here, here is a, for some of you here today, this is something in your life that has been broken down is that maybe there was some resistance or something happened in your life that was beyond your control and it it has caused you to become real 
discouraged, almost to the point where you want to give up. Or maybe there was some criticism from somebody that has come into your life that, that kind of has been eating away at you and it's been deteriorating your spiritual life and it's an area in your life that is broken down. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness towards someone else. Maybe it's disappointment with God. Why did this thing happen in my life? And what it's been doing is it's been slowly but surely taking away brick after brick after brick in your spiritual life. And you're just walking around with some bitterness and, and, and just discontentment in your spiritual life. And you just know it's there, but you haven't dealt with it. And how do you know when you don't deal with something, it's not a good thing because it's going to come out somewhere else? And so what we're going to look at is how did Nehemiah deal with opposition and criticism. How did he deal with his critics? And that's what I want to look at today. This is so important how you deal with this in your Christian walk because if you don't deal with it, bitterness and resentment will, 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 will take an anchor in your soul. And even the book of James talks about bitterness being a root that's going to cause all unrighteous things to happen in your life. So I'm going to get a little in your face today if you let me, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to get a little bit more invasive today because I believe if we don't deal with these root things, it's going to come out later in our lives and we wonder why there's some discontentment or our spiritual lives aren't the way they should be is because we've allowed these things to have an anchor and to have a foothold in our lives which, keep, which is keeping us from experiencing the freedom and, and, and growth in our spiritual lives that God desires us to have. Amen? So let, let's look at this passage today. If you've got your Bibles, you can pull one of the Bibles out in the, in, in the pews today. Um, I want you to uh, look at a couple... Uh, scriptures here today that we're going to allow God just to, to, to work in our heart today. So if you've got um, your Bibles, let's look at Nehemiah. We're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to look at a majority part of uh, this verse today. And uh, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to look at the end of the chapter, 17 through uh, 20. So let's see what happens. So now we see the situation that Nehemiah is, is you're going to to kind of see where Nehemiah goes to the king to ask for permission to go to Jerusalem to help rebuild the gates and the walls. And so let's pick up the story here. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation uh, this morning. So it says, Early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was a I was serving the king his wine, and I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? Uh, uh, you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. It's, isn't it interesting? This, is a, this is a, shows the close relationship that Nehemiah had with the king. The king could tell on his countenance that something was wrong. So this was more than just a casual relationship this was a very close relationship that nehemiah did have with the king and it's interesting how god set this whole thing up through his through his sovereign hand he goes then i was terrified so there is a respect here for this king knowing that he could do what he wanted no one was going to say anything different but i replied he, nehemiah is quick on his feet wise man long live the king okay <laughs> uh, how can i not be sad 
For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I, rep- I replied, whoo, here we go. This was, a, this was a firework prayer up to God, right? Okay, God, here it goes. Help me. Because I know this could mean life or death for me right now, Lord, so I need your help. So here was a quick prayer up to the God of heaven. If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried in the king with the queen sitting beside him as, how long will you be gone and when will you return? And after I told him how long and I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Okay, he don't stop there. You, you, you know that the Spirit of God was on Nehemiah. So here Nehemiah goes, I also said to the king, now he's pushing it a little bit, if it pleases the king, let me have a letter addressed to the governors in the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please, Give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king, uh, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. Now he's wanting all the supplies. Woo, God is good, isn't he? He he supplies our needs from crazy places. Amen? Don't ever under, uh, underestimate God. I will need to take to make beams for the gates of the temple forest for the city walls and for a house for myself. I like Nehemiah. He knows who's on his side. He wasn't, and and notice how the requests are specific. And the king granted these requests because, because why? The gracious hand, God's hand was on me. That's where his confidence came from. Ooh, that's, man, that's a whole sermon within itself that we could talk about. Are you guys awake this morning? Is everybody out there? Okay, just checking. Okay, let's move down to verse 17. Okay, so now he's gone. He's there. It's probably taken him months to travel there. He's finally there, weeks to travel, and now he's surveying the walls. He, he does it by night because he understands that there's the enemy there. There's going to be an attack. He's ready for the critics to come out. He's ready for those that aren't going to like what he's doing. There are those that are oppressing Israel and they like that they're ruling over them and oppressing them. So Nehemiah knew that there's going to be struggles. So he spends a couple nights here just surveying uh, the wall and, and preparing what he needs to do. So he brings a few men with him and he begins, to, he begins to unfold the plan to these men about what God is going to do. So look at verse 17. He says, but now I said to them, these men that were with him, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. He said, this is a mockery to God. These walls should be rebuilt. I understand we've rebuilt the temple, but the walls symbolize God's salvation. These gates symbolize coming into God's presence. It symbolizes the destruction of your own spiritual life. This is a disgrace. We're allowing the enemy to take us captive here. This shouldn't be. We need to end this now. 
And then I told them about how gracious, how the gracious hand of God has been on me and about the conversation with the king. And then these people replied this, let us rebuild the walls. So they began the good work. Verse 19, everybody say, but, but. When Simbalat, Tobai, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plans, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? And then Nehemiah replied, The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, the, rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, no legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. So what's, in, what's going on here? What's interesting about this? First of all, I want you to see that Nehemiah didn't start the work right away. Nehemiah, this is weird to me. Nehemiah comes in, you think he's prayed for three or four months. He comes in, get, basically lays his life down before the king and says, can I have this, this, and this? He comes in, brings all the supplies in. You think that he would get busy right away and rebuild the wall, but he takes three days off. He takes, he takes a vacation. He takes a little rest before he does this. It just kind of was weird to me why he did. This is very interesting to me. You'd think he'd be ready to go. He was traveling many miles. It took him a long time. You'd think he'd get right into it. But I believe what he did was so crucial. He didn't come in, barging in, telling everyone what they needed to do. He waited. And when he finally surveyed the destruction which he did at night not to cause any upheaval right away and to keep his mission secret from the opposition as long as possible. What Nehemiah did here is he waited on God. And this is a Christ-like quality. Jesus often would slip away to secluded areas to be alone with God. People listen to this. I've got a whole message on this in the summertime when we go through the Ten Commandments in a series we're going to be doing this summer. Um, I think this is so important that we need to give ourselves freedom to rest sometimes. You, you need to give yourself freedom to rest and to wait on the Lord. I know sometimes we just want to go gangbusters. We want things to change overnight, don't we? We want this situation to change. We want this family circumstance to change. We just want everything to change. I prayed, why doesn't it change? And sometimes God says, listen, this thing may not change overnight, but are you getting alone with me? Are, are you allowing yourself to find rest? Because Follow me here. Track with me here. Because if you don't understand this, when you begin to immerse yourself into God's ministry, you're going to burn out real quick. And I know a lot of people that want to immerse themselves in ministry and doing things for God, but they don't take care of their own souls. The, the bedrock of their discipleship is not found in the secret place alone with God, reading his word and praying. The way they find it is by doing things for God. Now, it's not wrong doing things for God and being involved in ministry. All of us should be involved with something, allowing God to use our gifts and talents. But if I'm not cultivating my personal life with the Lord eventually my spiritual life will become shipwrecked because I'm not cultivating the thing that God desires me to cultivate more, and that's rest. We are so dominated by just stuff that consumes our life. I was thinking about this. Lily, I got 11-year-old, my, my, my daughter Lily, love her to death. Lily and I 
last year I said, let's go on, you know, we, we go on these father, daughter, little daddy dates and stuff, and we do a big deal. You guys know about the Christmas time. We'll go see the Christmas carol, and she wants a real expensive meal, and she just, she's a piece of work, that girl. But anyways, um, so I said, hey, Lily, let's go. it's just the boys are gone. Let's go to McDonald's, have a little daughter, daddy, daughter date. So we went to McDonald's, and she loved it, and we're sitting there. And it was during the Olympics. So I've got, you know, I've got my... I've got my Android with me, you know, I've, you know, I got my smartphone with me and, and now everything to win prizes, you got to go online and, you know, scan everything, you know, go online, register. So we're there and it's during the Olympics and we got our little Olympic reward card thing to see if you won something. So I said, Lily, we, in order to find, she goes, did we win anything? Because remember the day you just pulled the thing off and they go, hey, you won a free Coke. Woohoo. And then you handed it in. No, now you got to scan the thing. You got to register online. So I'm there. So I've got my phone. I go, well, let's do it right now. So here I am in McDonald's with my daughter, beautiful little girl. And I'm spending 45 minutes with that stupid thing to see if I want a small fry. (laughs) So I I get to the, I'm I'm looking at it. All of a sudden I'm like, what am I doing? I just took this thing, threw it on the ground. It just, it's like a, the sucking thing that you just can't depart. You know, anybody, you've gotten there, you understand? I just think we need therapy just for that. Is there some AA thing just for this thing? There's got to be some program, some 12-step program that you can say how to relieve yourself from this thing right here or your iPads or whatever they are, okay? And and it it just showed me intrinsically in my heart what was more important? Who cares about the small fry? I had time just one-on-one with my girl. And I spent the whole time with this thing. I repented. I felt, I looked at Lily. I said, Lily, will you forgive your daddy? This was ridiculous. And so we get to the end. She goes, well, did we win anything? I said, I don't know. I can't. All right. So, and we didn't, by the way. So, now, if we won a million dollars, maybe it would have been... No, I... Uh. So here, here, Nehemiah just gets it. He is prepared. He knows what God desires in his heart. So he's ready. He's prepared to tell the people that God had led him and his hand was upon him. So all the people are, are just excited. Let us rise up and build. Oorah, let's go. The people are ready. So Nehemiah puts months of preparation. He fasts, he prays, he's traveled with supplies... And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he gets there. The people are excited, right? He's been praying for three or four months. He takes three days to survey, to wait on the Lord. He's ready to go. The people are behind him. He's got everybody lined up. And here comes three people. Here come the naysayers, right? What do you think you're doing? Who? We like it this way. We, we, we like that the walls are in destruction. We, we, we like it this way because we have power over the people. We don't like people coming into Jerusalem and trying to change things. Who do you think you are? And so here these naysayers come up and they're going to tell Nehemiah exactly what they're thinking and they're going to make life real difficult for him. I'm sure there's nobody in this place that has someone like that in their lives, right? 
to somebody that wants to make things different. Who do you, who do you think you are? You're going to come in. Who, oh, you're so perky. Why are you so perky today? I'll give you something to not be so perky about today, right? You got the joy of the Lord in your heart. You, you had a good weekend service. God spoke to your heart. You put a, a, a brick on the wall. You're all excited. You wake up Monday morning. You walk into work, and there's your, your boss, Mr. or Mrs. Sunshine, right? They're going to make everything wonderful for you. you know, or, or something happens, or you get a bad call, or get an argument with your spouse, or something's wrong in the family, or your kids, and it's just like wah, 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 Right? And it just destroys your heart. All the things that God was doing in your heart all of a sudden get destroyed because of one or two people that are, are really, if you look at it spiritually, are trying to destroy the work that God is doing in your heart. And you've got to expect that, people. The minute God begins to move in your life and begins to move away things out of your heart that shouldn't be there, you've got to know that the enemy is right there. You've you got to understand this with Jesus. Even Jesus, is, as he went into the wilderness before uh, he started his public ministry, and for 40 days he fasted. We all know that the enemy was right there tempting him, right? And, and even Luke, in his gospel, he says, and the devil left him for an opportune time. So it wasn't like the last of his tempting. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew the enemy was going to come back and, and tempt him. We, we cannot be so naive as not to believe there's not going to be opposition to our life. So if you're prepared for that opposition, and the way you prepare yourself for that opposition, you've got to be alone with the Lord. You've got to find that time of rest and solitude with the Lord so that your anchor is not in those people or in the critics or the negative things they say. Your anchor is in Jesus Christ. That's where your security is. That's where your identity is. So you're not going to, mm, mm, you're not going to allow those things. And I'm going to give you some things to help you in that battle over criticism. So, so all of a sudden, here we got the three critics. And they begin to mock what Nehemiah is, is doing. And so here Nehemiah is actually doing a good thing. He's rebuilding the walls. You got people that are mocking him doing a, 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 a very good, good thing. Now, it, it, I, I got thinking about this. You know, maybe... God has done something very good in your life where you worked really hard at something. Have you ever done that? You work really hard. Maybe it was at ministry. Maybe it was just something, a hobby or something you worked really hard and someone came up and said one negative thing about it and it just destroyed you. That's never happened to any of you. It's happened to me many times, right? You do something, you're all excited about it and then somebody says, oh, really, that's it? That's it? And you're like, well, I spent months doing this. Oh, okay, oh, well, that's nice. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. And you just feel like slapping that person. You know, you ever felt that way? Just the, that one seed of negativity just worked its way into your spirit. I, I can remember when we built this sanctuary and... Uh, Man, it was just exciting. We put scriptures on the floor. We were working a year to get the building off. People were helping clean. I mean, it was just wonderful. We had this great time of, of dedicating the sanctuary. That first service was just hopping. It was, it was exciting. And after the service, I am just, I was walking on cloud nine. I mean, I was eight feet off the floor. I was just excited just to be here and what God was doing and what he hasn't planned for our future. And I can remember this one person comes up to me, no, no, 
longer goes to our church, but they came up to me for good reason. Um, they came up to me and they said this, Pastor, can I just share something with you? I'm like, yes, speak into my life. I can just speak. Speak, my sister. I'm ready. I really don't like the color of the carpet. I go, were you in the service just now? Are you Satan by what? Are you, are you the devil? Because I just want to know right now. Really? Really? We just had this great service. People getting, you know, saved. Ruth Brooks got saved in that service. I mean, come on. It was just, I'm teasing her. I love her. And you got a problem with the color of the carpet? Really? And I'll tell you what. I went from here to here in about one second. And it just bothered me. And I got home and the Lord just spoke my heart and said, Barden, don't let it bother you. Just realize that I'm in control. That I'm still going to do a good work. Whether somebody doesn't like the color of the paint or the color of the carpet, it really doesn't matter. You keep loving people. You keep leading and allow me to do the work that I need to do in that place. Because you're not going to make everybody happy. Right? Right? You can't please people. And if I've learned anything in 24 years of ministry is that you can make eight people real happy and two people aren't going to be happy. Just the way it is. The changes that you make and so on and so forth where you try to have God's leading by his hand and you try to pray about it and you think, God, I'm doing the right thing here and then you're always going to have one or two people Four or five, they're going to say, you know, I really don't like. Listen, here Nehemiah is led by the hand of God to rebuild, and here's three people that come up to him and say, we don't like what you're doing. So how do you handle that without it allowing to destroy the work of God in your heart, to allow it to be a seed of discontentment that can ruin your spiritual life? How do we handle the critics in our life? Because we all have them. How do we get, how do we get over this criticism? We have to realize that it's a part of life. And we have to realize that we're not going to please everybody. But we need to be careful about the things that we allow in our lives and the things that will destroy our life. Listen, we're not going to always please everybody. And there's always going to be, I like to call them joy suckers, they're going to suck the joy right out of your life. There's always going to be those people. And so how do we be careful? How, how, how did Nehemiah handle the critics? Well, the reason why I think this is so important, we're going to spend two weeks on this. We're going to spend two weeks on this very thing. Because if there's anything that I see intrinsically in, in, in the lives of people, is that every single one of us, if we don't handle this correctly, it can become a seed of discontentment and bitterness in our heart that can destroy churches, that can destroy relationships, that can destroy marriages. And this is, this is a, a, a huge thing that we need to discuss as a church so we don't allow this to destroy the walls of our personal lives, the walls of our spiritual lives, and ultimately the wall of our church. So let's understand a few things here. Okay, you ready? Let me give you a couple things. You're taking notes. You can write these things down in your notes today. Let's understand a few things. Uh, first of all, I want you to understand that Nehemiah was prepared 
for his critics. Okay, that's the first. Write that down. Nehemiah was prepared. He was prepared to meet his critics. He knew that there was going to be opposition. And so because he knew that there was going to be oppositions, his heart was in the right place because he spent in prayer. And the reason why Nehemiah could overcome the critics is because he knew the call of God in his heart. He knew that God's hand was upon him, that he wasn't there to try to please the three critics. He was there ultimately to please God. Can I get an amen? Okay. Your identity has to be attached to the Lord and his calling on your life. That's what helps me get through all these years of ministry is God, even though there may be criticism, even though I may not do everything perfectly, I know that you have a calling on my life ultimately. And I'm here to please you. And when you say it's over, then it's over. But until that day, Lord, I'm going to keep trudging through, trying to please you, do what's right in your eyes. When I need to ask for forgiveness, I will, Lord, humble myself before your mighty hand. This is what Nehemiah did. He knew, he knew that his critics were coming, so he prepared himself, okay? Here's the, here's the second thing I want you to, to realize. Understand where the criticism is coming from. This is important. See, know the difference between those who truly care about you and those who really want to hurt you. So just understand these two. Not every bit of criticism is a bad thing necessarily, okay? Can I get an amen? Okay, so let's be careful here. Not everyone who criticizes you is out to hurt you. Okay, so be careful because some of us, we get so, it's easy to become, right? We get defensive. When someone says something to critique us, we get real defensive. But a disciple of Jesus Christ, if they're careful, if they're careful, will understand where the criticism is coming from. And if it's from people that truly love you and care for you and know you, that's why it, I don't know how pastors of large ministries do it with all the blogs that are out there and all the comments that can be made, you know what I'm saying, without even knowing the person? Because now you have the tool of blogging and the internet to say anything you want about anybody without really knowing them. If you get a criticism from somebody that really knows you and loves you, that may be to help you. And we need to humble ourselves to receive that, to say, you know what? I do have blinders on my life. I'm not going to make every decision correctly. There may be things that, that I'm oblivious to that you have brought up. Thank you for doing that because I know you love me and you want to help me, not destroy me. Amen? So understand, now, if it's coming from somebody that you just know is not on your team, like these three... Nehemiah said it. They weren't on the team. They had no investment in Jerusalem at all. They didn't care. They just wanted to keep the people oppressed. So, so just remember, some people will never be happy. We've got to be careful that we're not trying to please everybody. So just understand where the criticism is, is, is coming from. And notice Nehemiah's reaction to the naysayers. He said, God is with us. And we are as servants who will rise up and build. As for you, you really don't care about Jerusalem. You care more about yourself and your agenda. So Nehemiah knew the source of the criticism. It wasn't really that, that they cared about. They didn't care. They had no ownership 
in Jerusalem at all. They wanted to keep the people oppressed because they wanted to keep their pockets full. So the meaning here, what Nehemiah is saying is about these critics is that they had no ownership. So let me just throw this quote out to you, okay? The ones who criticize the most are the ones who usually have the least ownership. The ones who usually criticize the most are the ones that usually have the least ownership. You know, I love one church does this. They don't call their their church members members. They call them owners. You're part of this church. You're part of this assembly. Every single one of us are important. And it's easy to sit on the fringe and say, that church, that church, that. And then if someone says that, they say, you know what? You know, what a, you know, Pastor, I've got a problem with your church. I usually stop them and say, wait a minute. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. So who you're really criticizing is Jesus. Now go ahead. Go make your criticism. Okay? Go ahead right now. You can go make it now. Now go ahead. See, I love when people say, you know what, Pastor, here, I've got a suggestion for you. This is what I tell my staff and I tell this to my leadership. If you've got a criticism about the church, give me three solutions. Easy to criticize, isn't it? Easy. Well, I don't like this. Okay, you don't like it? Then give me three suggestions to help it. Because if you're an owner, I told you I was going to get in your grill today. So just don't be all mad at me. I could have been gardening my house today. I could have been mowing my grass. Listen, if you're an owner, if you care about what God's doing in this church, then you're going to say, you know what? How can we make this better? The easiest thing for us to do is to criticize. But if we're part of God's family, this isn't my church. Don't remove yourself by saying, well, that church really has got some issues. Uh uh-uh, uh, because this is your church. If you call yourself a believer and a follower of Christ, you're part of his church. And so an owner will say, What can we do to make Jesus' church better? And because we're not perfect, right? And we all got our issues, right? Come on. So, how, what are we doing to make it better? Easy to criticize and to stand back and be the armchair quarterback, right? And say, Oh, here's all the problems. But then what am I doing to make it better? An owner makes it better. And that's what Nehemiah noticed right away about their critics. They weren't owners. They didn't really care about God's house. They didn't care about God's walls. They didn't care about God's city. They were just onlookers. They were just critics. So the one who criticizes the most uses. So know where that's coming from. If somebody's criticizing, are they an owner? Do they really care about you? You got to take that with a grain of salt. But notice the ones that were helping Nehemiah were not the ones that were complaining. Here's the reason why. Are you ready? It's hard to complain when you're helping. When you're trying to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, there's not a lot of complaining that's going on. So ask yourself, am I an owner or am I a bystander? Am I one that really cares about God's church? And here, we all have problems. There's ways we could always do things better. But am I part of the solution or am I constantly part of of the problem? So if you're listening to people who constantly 
are, are, are criticizing others, you've got to be careful. So here, here's, here's, here's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah knew that he needed to set up boundaries in his life. So not only do you want to understand and prepare yourself for the critics, understand where the criticism is coming from, but also set bound, write this down, set boundaries up in your life. And here's what you need to do. Don't spend time with toxic people. Don't spend a lot of time with them. If you listen to people who constantly criticize others, they most likely are spreading half-truths or misunderstanding. Be on your guard because by being part of that, you may also be prejudging someone unfairly. So be real careful. Set up boundaries. If you know there's certain people that you hang that are just toxic, that are joy suckers, that are going to constantly complain about things, be careful about that. And make sure that you're, you're bridging people to the right solution. Did you talk to that person? When someone comes to you and gives you an issue, like, I don't like the way blah, 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 You say, hey, good concern. Did you talk to that person? And leave it there. I don't want Nah, 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 nah. I don't want to hear anymore because I'm not the person you're upset with. Did you talk to that person? That's the biblical thing to do. Be careful about what you hear and about someone that may be spreading half-truths and misunderstanding if they don't understand the whole story. So set boundaries up in your life. Also, write this down. Show grace when receiving criticism because there might be some truth in there. I love this, um, Billy Graham in his writings on leadership secrets, he said this that I thought was just very insightful. Billy Graham said what he did with his critics, he said he turned his critics into coaches. And what he would do is he would take notes on the things that they had issues with. And he said many times some of them were false. Some of the criticisms might have been good and he could learn from them. And then what he would do is from his critics, he would always ask for forgiveness if it needed to be forgiven. So if he did something, if someone came and they were offended with what he did and he needed to ask for forgiveness, he would ask for forgiveness. And he would turn that session not into just defensive session, but he would actually say, I want to learn from this and, and be able to listen to what they're doing so that we can see eye to eye, that we can reason together. I love that about the heart of Billy Graham, that he showed grace not just become negative and then turn that critic into an enemy. So let, let's be careful because even through criticism, we can grow. Can I get an amen? Okay. And here's another one. Write this down. Be careful not to speak of your critics with hatred. Right? Well, why doesn't everybody love me? I'm just trying to do a good job. Nobody likes me. Right? And so then with that critic that comes against us, what we end up doing is, Everything, all our hatred and discord gets poured out to that one person and we want everybody to know about it, what they did to me. Be careful. Guard your heart. Be careful not to speak of your critics with hatred because then you end up falling into the same boat that they're in, right? So as a believer and a follower of Christ, we want to rise above that. And then, and then here's the last thing I want to give you when you handle criticism, okay? Here, here's the thing we can learn from, from, from Nehemiah. Because I believe Nehemiah was a type of Christ. That Christ was a better and even more perfect Nehemiah. That Nehemiah came into a city to help 
rebuild the destruction. He wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Nehemiah had critics and opposition. Jesus had critics and opposition. Nehemiah knew that he had a job to do to help rebuild the spiritual lives of people, to be the mediator between uh, the people and God. Jesus did the exact same thing. So ultimately, we can see this picture of Christ. Ultimately, we're serving Christ. Here's the last thing I want you to, to realize in dealing with your critics. Listen, be able to move forward. Nehemiah didn't allow these three men to stop him. He had the people of Jerusalem with him, and most of all, he had the call of God on his heart. And so here's here's the thing I just want you to wrestle with today as we just move into a time of prayer in our hearts here today. I want you to look into your hearts and your lives today and say, you know what, is there something in my life is there some negativity? Is there a person that I've, that I've given room into my life rent-free today that's destroying me? Maybe it's somebody that's died years ago and that person is still coming up saying you're no good, you'll never amount to anything. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something in your life that has attached itself to you that's keeping you moving forward spiritually that you really haven't offered forgiveness and maybe there's a critic maybe there's someone that criticizes you that you're just bitter and every time you think about them you're just angry and god says i want you to move beyond that to realize i've got so much more for you and allow god's healing to come into your life people this this is this is this this is huge right now okay because if you can start there within your heart, it's going to overflow. Listen, it's going to overflow into your relationships, into the health of our church as a whole. Amen? This is so important. Because sometimes we think, well, I'll just bury that thing and I won't deal with it. It's going to come out. Something's going to remind you of that situation. Some situation's going to come up. And all of a sudden, this ugliness appears and you're like, where did that come from? Has that ever happened to you? It was one of those, where did that, why am I so angry? What happened? It's because you haven't dealt with it. And the enemy's using it to keep you from moving forward and rebuilding your spiritual lives. Amen. So let's, let, let's allow God just to, just to deal with our hearts. And so this is a huge area that I believe that the Lord wants to deal with our hearts in today. It's about our relationships, about our critics, about God's calling on our life, about who we're pleasing so that we can move forward with God's mighty hand. Amen. I'm going to ask, you, I'm going to ask the, the prayer team to come forward. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike once again. He's going to lead us in the time of instruction on what we are to do with our cards today. Amen. I love you guys. You still love me? I love you guys. Amen. God is good. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Mike. All right. Hopefully you guys are already thinking of something that maybe God is doing in your heart. Um, just wrote a couple things down to maybe uh, hone us in on some things. Um, number one, as the body of Christ, uh, we can't afford to entertain any of these things. We can't afford to entertain unforgiveness. We can't afford to entertain bitterness. We can't afford to fuel our anger by just allowing, um, sometimes we'd like to gather our armies, right, to, to tell us that we're right, and yeah, that person deserves that, and yeah, don't, don't forgive them. Don't let them get away with that, because they shouldn't get away with it, and that just d destroys the potential for God to do something crazy and unique in that situation. Um, Something I thought about is not making a choice is a choice that I make to settle for that thing. To not make a choice is a choice. So we sometimes let ourselves get off the hook because we're just like, well, I'm not going to deal with it right now. Then you're making a choice 
to say it's not important enough to deal with. And God is probably saying, this is one of the probably the thing I want to deal with in your life. Um, So what I would ask for you is to determine today to fight for what is God-pleasing, God-honoring, and God-centered. Something that God, you know, God wants to do it in your life. Um, In Nehemiah uh, 2.17, we read, it said, let's end the disgrace. Let's end it. Let's end the disgrace. Let's, let's decide today, I'm, gonna, I'm challenging you to decide today to end the disgrace as it pertains to you. You can't control how that person will respond. You can't control what that person's going to say, but you can control what your heart's going to do about it. You can control that. So I say let's end the disgrace. So um, what is God asking of you? Perhaps God is asking you to accept healthy criticism. Are there people in your life that love you like crazy that you are denying access to your heart because you are just stubborn? That's something God has to do in my heart. Are you denying people the right and the privilege to speak into your life because you're simply too stubborn and locked in and you're, you don't want to move? I, I ask you to ask God, should I be accepting that criticism? Number two, um, do, what criticism do you need to ignore because it's coming from unhealthy, an unhealthy person, an unhealthy heart, and someone that's not invested in you just like we heard today? They're not invested in your life. They don't know you well enough to give you true, healthy criticism, and, but they seem to be given a lot of it. And maybe you just need to, to you know, um, sift that out and figure out what is healthy and what is good and leave the rest out and don't let it crush your spirit. Um, and lastly, who do you need forgiveness from? Who have you participated in the destruction of their wall? Whose wall is broken because you've spoken words of hurt and whose wall is busted because you've, you've neglected to allow them to have forgiveness or, 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 or to move past the parts that it, maybe they've hurt you. We all take part in breaking down each other's walls. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you as one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Barton, to say, let's end it. Let's end the disgrace. Let's bring the walls. Let's bring them back. Let's rebuild them. So what is it? Do you have to accept healthy criticism? Do you have to ignore unhealthy criticism? Or do you need to ask for someone for forgiveness for breaking down their wall? What is it? What do you need? How do you need to respond? If there's something else that God's put on your heart, then, then you know, veer off that track and write down whatever God's doing in your heart. But those are three things. Accept healthy criticism, ignore unhealthy, and ask for forgiveness where it's needed. Those are three things that I think we can really learn from from this to bring health and restructuring our walls. So I'm going to pray. These guys are going to lead us in a song if our team can come out. And um, we're going to just ask God to do something in our hearts. As uh, you can stay seated and write down what God's doing in your heart. However you want to do it, put your name on it in your response. And then some point during the song, come up and just lay your card here like we've been doing. And then we'll add it to the wall as we watch our church just kind of grow in our compassion and passion for Jesus. So, um, and when you're ready, you can stand and, and worship with us. So let's pray. God, move in our hearts. Do something. Reveal to us where we need to come forward. Reveal to us where we're broken. Reveal to us where we've... Um, participated in the brokenness of other people's walls and challenge us, God, to not settle for that. Challenge us to move past it. Challenge us to accept criticism. Challenge us to ignore the unhealthy criticism and challenge us to seek forgiveness from those that we have hurt. That when we're honest with ourselves, we know we have participated in hurting somebody and it's not what you desire. It's not what you've called us to do. So, God, I pray that you would heal our hearts and at the same time, convict us so that we would come forward and we would respond to you because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.
service and, and and this is I believe this is probably one of the most important weeks right here this is so critical right here those who are responding allowing God to, to do that deeper work in our hearts through criticism and bitterness and, and I believe there's going to be some huge breakthroughs in relationships and your relationship with God and allowing God to soften your heart and to offer forgiveness this this is this is huge. How can we find forgiveness unless we're able to offer it, Christ says. So let's pray as we close and just believe that I lay my hand on this wall and, and those of you that responded, let's just believe that God's going to do that work in your heart and, and just realize that the, the, the step of faith that you took this morning, realize that there's going to be opposition. The enemy's not, not real happy with what you're doing now. So just be prepared. So when the opposition comes, you just go, ah, ha, 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 ha. You just laugh. Laugh in the enemy's face. Say, I knew this was coming. And I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to ease up. 
because I know because of the opposition, I made the right choice to allow you to do that work in my heart. So Lord, as we, as we, we just commit our lives to you again, as I lay my hands on this wall, Lord, I thank you for these cards, these bricks that have symbolized, Lord, our decision to allow you to do that deeper work, whether it's forgiveness or being able to be humbled and to receive criticism, not to become defensive and angry and allow those things to break down my spiritual walls in my life, Lord. So God, I just pray for every one of these decisions. Lord, I pray as opposition does come, we would be prepared because we've spent time in your presence and we know that your hand is upon us and that, Lord, we're able to not only uh, offer forgiveness, but we're able to receive forgiveness. And so, Lord, I thank you that we can only do that by your spirit. We need that supernatural work of Christ in our hearts to even be able to do this. And the only way we can do that is by recognizing what Jesus did on the cross for us. That while he hung there bleeding and naked, he said, Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do. The reason why Jesus could do that is because he was a God full of grace and mercy. And he, he, and Jesus humbled himself to that very cross, knowing that he had to take on our sack. He had to take the sacrifice for himself for us because of our sin. And so, Lord, I pray that we would follow the example of Christ. God, that there's, there's, no, there's no confrontation in my life that ever, that, that ever should result in an unchristian response. There's none. And so, Lord, help us to, to be filled with your spirit today be able to handle these things so that our ambition is to please Jesus and Jesus alone. So I thank you for these decisions, for your people, God. Thank you for reconstructing our lives. You are so good and so patient with us. Thank you for not giving up on us, Jesus. We give you the glory. And we just ask these things as we go in your presence. We pray that these things would just work in our spirit now so that you can renew us and restore us and reconstruct us, God. We thank you for your love for us today and your patience. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name and we give you the praise and the praise alone. Amen, 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 amen. Let's give the Lord praise. He's good. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Go in God's grace, amen. Can't be old.